Welcome to the Force Matters podcast, powered by Motusi. I'm J.D. Romick. And I'm Jonathan Ang. We're here to have disruptive, inclusive, and informative dialogue at the intersection of technology, research, and clinical practice. Our promise to sort through the BS so you don't have to. Our focus is what matters to your musculoskeletal health. Welcome back, everybody, to the Force Matters podcast. And John and I just came back from CSM. We kind of had a week off of podcasting, but wanted to chat a little bit about CSM. We've also got some guests coming up that we heard speak at CSM, which was really cool. Um, lots of high energy, big brains, mm-hmm. smart people. And doing different things too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. We'll recap a little bit, a little bit of our experience at CSM, and then maybe pull out some nuggets, clinical pearls, things that we learned. That way, it's kind of valuable to mm-hmm. <laughs> to people listening to us talk, but also uh, fun to just kind of relearn and revisit some of these things. Yeah, I think you know maybe the first thing we start with is just sort of the energy and the the expo, the things that we saw, the things that you kind of walk around and touch and feel. Uh, you know, I spent most of my time there. Uh, got to go to a couple different breakouts, but for the most part was was, was sort of stuck, stuck there. Um, but it was, it felt big this year. It did feel really big. Maybe it's because COVID happened in 2020 and it was virtual that year and then the year back, that was San Antonio. Yep. And then there weren't, it wasn't like there was a surplus of people there, but I don't know, like the energy still just didn't feel like this no. year. This year felt really pretty cool. I mean, granted the weather was poopy. Oh but... my gosh, it rained the whole time and I was so sad. The <laughs> amount know. of people I told that I was depressed is, I don't know. It Coming from Oregon, it's like we, we set aside this time going somewhere hot in February because we're like, this is the darkest time yeah. of the year. And now uh, here we are in sunny San Diego and it's raining the entire time. Borderline snowing. Borderline snowing. It was snowing in Oregon. We got like record snowfall. Mm-hmm. So anyway, but we're Oregonians. We're kind of soft that way. I think my big takeaway from the, from the expo is that aside from getting my annual supply of chapstick from, from <laughs> yes. everywhere, uh, Technology is certainly here mm-hmm. for our profession. Yeah. I think there's a lot of noise, mm-hmm. but it's here, which is exciting. But also I can imagine being really confusing for a lot of us. Mm-hmm. That being said, I came away from conversations with so many that came across the booth that people are thinking about it they're conscious about it they're aware of it they don't necessarily know where it's gonna take their practice but the conversation has started which is pretty cool right because I think if if you look back just to last year it wasn't there yeah. And I think the stark difference from last year to this year was the presence of so much technology 
right in your hands uh, and already devices that you have to new devices that you could buy. Uh, but to, in the conversation or the vernacular of, of people walking around. Mm -hmm. um, so th I, I think that piece is, that was super exciting, you know, whether it was, you know, people that are retired from the profession and are still coming to CSM to see old friends right. and whatnot to, you know, s new or somewhat new PTs that are out there crushing it and building on practices and and within other systems or even the students, right? Yeah, there are a lot of students. Uh, yeah, and there's always, it's always a heavy student population, right, right, at CSM. But it was invigorating to speak with them for their ex easy acceptance of technology, but their totally. discerning skepticism about technology. Mm-hmm and the questions that they would ask. Uh, and that was, I don't know, I may have said this before in a previous podcast, but you know, last time I went to CSM, I got really excited. And I think this time coming back from CSM, I am, I'm excited as well, right? Yeah. Maybe, maybe for a few different reasons, but I, I'm, yeah, I don't know. I think it brings out the good in our profession. Yeah, well, you mentioned when you went to CMS, the, or the, private practice meeting. Oh, private so, practice, PPS. PPS. Mm -hmm. um, the mass exodus of PTs from the workforce. Mm -hmm. I think about the excitement this year. Is it because, I mean, obviously there's a lot of students. We were never required to go as students. Did you guys go to CSM? I never order? went until I was maybe eight, 10 years out of practice, like out of school. Yeah, and we always had this healthy kind of skepticism of the folks that would give presentations that weren't rooted in evidence, that were kind of guru, mm -hmm. perpetuating some of these things in PT, like the functional movement screen or mm -hmm. different, I guess, different metrics and different things that aren't really validated tools. They're not very helpful. And so some of our profs, because we came from a very EBP focused, heavy program where one of our professors would never go because he just thought it was this kind of pomp and circumstance. People would just walk around. They loved having all the kind of the badges on their name tag or, or like the ribbons on mm. their name tag and that it was such a show of I'm a speaker, I'm a presenter, you know, that whole deal. And and I get, you know, there is some of that, but I am really encouraged this year when I went to some of the platforms and like the big presentations, listening to so many people kind of going back to your your statement about technology is there needs to be more helpful validated objective measures and I'm I'm much more aware that as PTs we need to level up too because we are doing things in clinic that haven't been getting the results we want so like return to sport for ACL for example we're actually going to have a guest on him really stoked um, in the next week or so who, who was one of the presenters um, on a return to run a post-op ACL presentation. And he had so much energy, super charismatic guy. Um, again, we'll kind of link him in our next episode, but um, just talking about the way that, you know, some folks use hop tests, some folks use, um, maybe it's they, they leg press, you know, 20% less on their mm. surgical side and they're like, all right, you're, you're good to go, mm -hmm. but they're never really revisiting those measures, you know, one year, two years, 15 years down the road for this person to see, 
have they actually regained the strength that they need. So there are just some really good present presenters this year that critically looked at the metrics for return to sport. There was one George Davies and his colleagues looked at for the upper extremity because we have very few mm -hmm. measurements for the upper extremity, uh, Y balance tests with the upper extremity, closed, ca closed kinetic chain, upper extremity, upper extremity endurance, endurance test. test. Yeah. <laughs> it's, got, it's a long one. Yeah. Um, but some of these measures that have been looked at in the, the literature still like they're good, but they're not, we don't know if they're measuring what we need to measure to get people who are post upper extremity injury back to right. whatever it is they want to do. Did you say Y balance for upper extremity? Yes. Have you not done that before? Uh, please elaborate. So basically you, you know, you have that Y balance um, in front of you and you put your kind of like the L of your supporting limb on the, um, on the block that you mm -hmm. stand on and then you reach lateral in the superior three yep, and inferior. And you kind of take a measurement. We actually measured this at Fox too with the baseball players. And if you have a, a difference, there's kind of this like threshold sure. of you have to plug in this equation. We did it on an Excel sheet. But if you have a number that's less than, um, oh gosh, was it point, point 0.8 in this like measurement system, I'll have to look up the numbers, the exact numbers for you. Um, but if you had a difference in your, your limbs, it was kind of a red flag of your strength is not balanced or your your mm -hmm. upper extremities have this deficit but yeah so why balance upper extremity test is one that you can use in clinic uh that's one of the more i don't know if it's reliable or valid i'll have to reconsider or reconsult my notes but mm -hmm. the um upper extremity the close kinetic chain upper extremity endurance test is another one that is that one, is widely yeah. used so uh, we did that with our baseball team at fox as well so two measures that I think are, are worth using or at least give us some type of objective data, but still, you know, we don't know. Right. Then you have the ASH test, which is one that you can use on a force plate where you take the arm kind of in your eye, Y, T, and then like the lower eye. Like cobra, cobra position. Yeah, cobra position. And typically you'll see a difference of like seven to 10% in your dominant arm versus your non-dominant. Mm -hmm. So if we're returning people to sport with a greater deficit, so like for the lower extremity, it's like, okay, 10 to 20%, like you're probably good to go back to sport. But if you're returning someone with an upper extremity with a 10% deficit, you're likely looking at a 20% deficit based on the strength metrics that are normal for the upper extremity. I think some of that's out of Stanford. Um, but anyway, listen to Susan Sigward from USC uh, talking about the lower extremity. There's just some, some juggernauts. So it's really fun to see um, those that are in the field really trying to push this kind of better objective measure, use technology, kind of this framework that PTs need better tools it's really encouraging because I think you're saying, like you were saying, the younger generation of PTs coming up, I think they really find value in that and they'll adopt it more so than those that have been in the field for a long time. Yeah, yeah. And I think <clears throat> what was a stark sort of obvious visual to me for optics was the, you know, there are certain companies that are out there in the digital therapeutics world that are trying to replace us, mm -hmm. right? And they were visibly absent from from CSM, which was 
I was glad that they were, you know, selfishly. I was yeah, they glad probably that, don't want to get torn apart. Right. PT is like you're trying to replace us. Who are some of these companies? Should we name drop or no? Oh, I don't. Know. I mean, yeah, I guess. I mean, there's these just sort of big aggregator companies that you know started with technologies that said, you know, oh, we can do this without PTs, right? And now, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars later in funding and you know poor patient compliance and sort of poor follow through rate. But lots of employers and customers, because it's like easy to say, "Oh, we bought this widget for you. We're, this right. is going to make you better." Right. You know, I think the business models are coming back around and, and saying, "Oh, shoot! I think we forgot this. Uh, you know, the psychosocial component and the actual human element to right. to rehab and 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 recovery and uh, and performance." That we, I guess, we overlooked that, and I guess you know we're kind of we're gonna we're gonna start employing you know our own. Right. Uh, to, to cover us when, when the technology doesn't do what yeah. we're supposed to do, right? And yeah. I think uh, that's, I don't know, you, you know who those are. I'm not going to name those names. Yeah. I think it's easy to, to you know, just Google right. like digital therapeutics and you'll see two or three companies that pop up all the time. Yeah. And I also don't want to give them extra press because if they're missing the boat, you know, we don't necessarily want PTs to fear losing their jobs because like you were saying i think the psychosocial piece i think the integrating technology with what we do can only make us more powerful as a as a clinician that really seeks to give people their life back through movement and um, i was really encouraged though because there were so many students and those that had their own businesses that i talked to that were um, trying to serve these niche populations ice skaters dancers uh, just these people that had big dreams, big goals to really serve in a unique way. I thought that was really cool. Just you don't see that energy a lot from PTs. And I think it's really easy to get run down in kind of the system. Like if you've listened to some of Chris Hoekstra's podcasts, like, you know, him talking about how reimbursement continues to go down. And so the amount of people that you're seeing has to double and you're just kind of getting in that burnout mentality but i think if you really find a niche and you you know cultivate your own your own thing your own brand uh you can really make a difference in the world of a specific kind of people mm-hmm. even listening to zach gabor's podcast i'm like it's cool that you have this this population that you want to serve and you have your own metrics and you can really tap into helping a specific population um anyway it's just really fun to listen to some students and pts that had that that energy and enthusiasm. But I don't know, I had a great time at CSM. I felt a lot busier this time than I had in others. I mean, I was out with with you guys now doing, a, it was kind of my last row with George Fox, but I was out doing lots of, you know, networking events, really fun like outings and Technopalooza, which ended with the, the fire the alarm. The fire alarm, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, shout out to to that crew and APTA and Bob Latz and, uh, and and his crew there, I think they did a really bold move, sort of elevating Technopalooza to a different stage. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how the rest of the night played out because we basically got cleared out because of the uh, the, the fire alarm. Um, well, let me set the stage. So okay. we're, we're in this beautiful like children's museum. Uh-huh. And walk in, I'm like, immediately this this venue is gorgeous. It's this giant cement kind of like industrial, but very artistic, eclectic space with art. There's a live band. 
tables set up everywhere with different vendors, whether they're EMRs or exercise, home exercise platforms sure. or, or gamified neuro exercise. Neuro exercise. for patients with stroke. Yep, yep. It was so super cool, yeah. Lots of fun tech uh, tables, stand-up tables. Yep. So we're, we're all hanging out, having amazing conversations with professors, folks that have their own biomechanics labs. Uh, people are drinking wine, beer, just walking around. But we're right by this roll-up door. This was our saving grace. So we... <laughs> As we're standing there, the fire alarm goes off. I'm in the middle and of a conversation. There's maybe only 30 to 20 minutes left in the evening. We've already been there yeah. for a couple hours. Yeah. And so it was already like, but it was packed. Yeah. <laughs> so there were lots of people and the fire alarm goes off and everybody's kind of walking around like, no, nah, we don't have to leave. We're right. just, we're just going to stay. And I don't know if this is serious. And security ends up coming through telling everybody we have to clear out all of a sudden the fire department comes our roll-up door right next to us goes up so we're like very tentatively moving towards the door like do we really have to leave and you know fire drills are for kids right you know we don't need to leave we're safe like just go check make sure there's no fire and then we're good but no we have to leave and everyone's saying oh gosh we're probably gonna have to wait another you know three hours to get our stuff so you and I and Dave look at each other. We're like, we need to grab our stuff. Grab your shit now. So, so we run back in. Literally everybody else has cleared out. We're just like frantically grabbing our stuff and putting it in the bag because we don't want to wait two hours to like pick oh, up shop. Hell no. So we put all of our stuff in our bag and we go grab drinks. <laughs> it was <laughs> it was a pretty eventful end to our evening, but it was a it was a really good time. I think you know just the energy, all the conversations surrounding PT. Being in San Diego, it wasn't raining that night, so that was nice. But um, but it was a it was a really good way to cap off one of our last evenings there. But anyway, that yeah, was pretty fun. I Technopolis is interesting, right? I mean, it, it's been going on for thirteen years. I got oh, a lot yeah. of history this year for it, um, and it's. I think it's an important event for our profession too, mm -hmm. right? It, I think so. Um, you know, I think it it's it talks about the companies that are. I think they take a step. They they go a step further in the profession to say, you know what, we're like really interested in pushing it forward, yeah. right? It's one thing to buy a booth and have booth space at the expo, um, but I think it's another thing to to step up to that next level and go. You know what? I really want to be a part of this platform. Uh, because it's going to hopefully bring people that are already presupposed to, or, you know, um, failing on my words here, but are already more interested in, in mm -hmm. this type of stuff. Uh, and so you end up having, at least I felt we had different conversations that evening than we did at the booth. Right. Right. It wasn't, it, you know, booth tends to be a little bit more salesy and whatnot. Right. But at, at Technopalooza, it felt like we were, we were having really engaged, educated, in-depth, discerning conversation together, like with with other people that were just wanted to learn and know more and yeah. um, and talk on a different level. I right. guess is what I'm saying. But it was fun. Yeah, it was yeah. certainly fun. I, I'm looking forward to doing it again next year, you know, and we, you always see friends and you see competitors and you see, although I don't really see many people as competitors, we're all tools that are trying to, you know, provide something for, for us as professionals, mm -hmm. right? I mean, everybody, like you said, going into all these different niches and whatnot, right? There's going to be 
one tool that might be slightly more perfect for, for your practice than right. the other one, uh, even though they're both great tools. Right, so. yeah. Um, any courses that you went to that were particularly interesting? Yes, the NEOA. Uh, that was the other thing. I felt like courses were enormous this year. Some of the major courses were huge. Yeah. I mean, giant ballrooms. Mm -hmm. And I guess I didn't feel like, maybe that was just because it was COVID in San Antonio, but it, thousands of people in one room just, yeah. just to, to listen about NEOA. Um, you know, this is a bigger conversation. <laughs> we probably could have our own episode on this. And I thought it was really, uh, I couldn't stay for the whole thing, but I, the, the first speaker at the, the, the NEOA section was talking about how our CPGs, our clinical practice guidelines, uh, it, it, you know, back to your point about evidence-based practice, right? And, and while I, su I, I support that, right, I think there needs to be a healthy balance of evidence-based, some clinical experience, um, and what the patient of course. desires, right? Yeah, it's a balance. And, and so I, I, I sometimes cringe a little bit when I hear uh, uh, super pumped new grads coming out being all about EBP, mm, right? Evidence-based, mm -hmm. evidence-based, right? Because then, you know, you get to the point where you, you get some clinicians that are priding themselves, like, I literally never touch a patient, mm -hmm. right? And I, 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 I'm not saying you need to rub down each patient, but it, if we go the other way, then what's to say that technology can't replace us, mm -hmm. right? Like, in a, in a certain way, like, we do have certain skills with our with our hands that okay. make a difference, right? Yeah. Um, but but I guess so. But to bring it back to the presentation itself, right? So we don't get onto like a, a total uh, soapbox conversation um, back and forth because everybody knows that we have probably little different views on. Yeah, but know. I th I think that's also what helps. I think that's what helps kind of refine this this way that we can have a good mix of everything. Yeah. Is I think if we rely too much on, we don't want to be replaceable, I need to have these skills that keep my patients coming back for more, we also miss that piece of, I'm using the gold standard to get my patient where they need to be, and I've been very open and, and have, because education doesn't always work either. Like, But giving our patients the knowledge that we are going to give them the best thing for their body when they're in a space to hear and trust what you, you have to say. Yeah. We, doctors, this is where I get hung up, is like doctors don't have to show that they have good tools and good value to keep patients coming back for more. And I would say very heavy manual PTs, sorry, we'll get back to what we were talking about in a second, but I think very heavy manual therapy-based PTs if you're not getting the results and you you know you want to keep your patient coming back like doctors never have to show that they have value or get patient buy in by using specific methods and that's where I'm like well then what do we need to do to develop that street cred to not have to do things that maybe won't get us the best results i do think manual has a place for pain modulation like you've talked about and there are tools that can help our patients feel a lot better so I don't want to abandon them entirely. And I think there's a good mix of how can we use best, best level evidence combined with what the patient wants. That's where you have to be really good psychosocial people is can we combine what they need 
with what my skill sets are, with what the best evidence says will get them to where they want to be. And then how do I convey that to a patient so they're not like, I just want to go get rubbed down by my massage therapist or my chiro, and I'm not coming back to you because all I want is physical touch. Well, I mean, but I think what you just explained right there, that the that trifecta of those things, that's what successful clinicians do. For sure. Right? And, and I see what you're saying with, because even at George Fox, we can have this reputation of coming out and being really, what's the word? I don't know if it's sanctimonious, if that's the right word. We come out thinking. It's not, in, it's not, uh, it's not inactive. Right. It. it may not be the most accurate, but it's 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 getting to the point. Right. It's like we know shit. What you're doing is wrong. Like, why are you doing that method? And what that's BS. And experienced clinicians are like, look, we've been where you are. We've been around the block. Don't be an asshole. You know, it's like there's I think there's a balance of yeah. sticking to your guns, but also being respectful. Yeah, there's a I mean, I think that happens every new grad runs out mm-hmm. of school like that, right? Yeah. And it just depends on where on that spectrum you fall based on the school that you went to and how right. hard they push one thing or another, right? Right. Um, but so here's just a curious and interesting tidbit takeaway from that NEOA um, mm-hmm. section lecture. And he threw up an image on the screen. And I think what he was really trying to get at was this part of the conversation. We can't we can't just go with quote unquote what the evidence base says because if you look at the clinical practice guidelines and he clustered you know images of things that were part of CPGs mm-hmm. and things that were uh, refuted by the CPGs and, and were not included, right? So I'm going to give you two things and tell me where you think they fell. Kinesio tape and manual therapy. Mm-hmm. Manual, not good. It fell in the not in not in the CPGs. Right. What about kinesio tape? Oh boy, I'm nervous that it fell into there. It did. Oh boy. <laughs> Interesting. Can you expand on that? I don't know how to expand on that. So the <laughs> folks that got that get kinesio tape feel like it is helpful to them. No, it was he. It was these were all meta analyses mm-hmm. of of um, studies about. Knee, uh, I think it was about therapy and neo. God, I'm going to need to go back and look at the... Was it like subjectively the patients reported good outcomes or maybe it helped with... Because I've, I've seen kinesio tape help with swelling and bruising. And Yeah, sure. It, yeah, I mean, you, you, it's, that's the only thing that it's been proven to help with is right. lymphatic drainage and, and yeah. with that, right? You need the spider taping and you can see and all you that can, stuff. And you can get some swelling with neo. Like that's a, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. a part of it. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Yep. anyway, I'm just curious... Yeah, uh, but that is, I, I was a little bit sort of, you know, because I, I think I try and stand up, I think, a little bit more for manual, not mm-hmm. for just like massage, but I think there are techniques, whether it's manipulation, whether there, you know, whether there's, uh, it, it, there are other, you know, fascial techniques that I think make a difference on the nervous system, right? And so um, the, it's, it's, I tend to stand up for a little bit more for manual, but then when I have a hard time going, saying, oh, really? Kinesio tape? Kinesio tape is better right. than this? Not to say that I don't put kinesio tape on an athlete and they come in and they go, hey man, it makes my shoulder feel so much better and I play so much better. Fuck yeah, I'm gonna put tape on the guy, right? Or the girl, but that's not my treatment. That's not right. my plan of care. Well, and I think <laughs> the underpinnings, the hard part that people have with manual is 
that PTs package it as this, I'm breaking up adhesions, oh, yeah, I'm yeah. improving circulation, I'm decreasing your pain. I think it's just the underpinnings of what of why we use manual that people have such a big problem with and the narrative that we tell our patients. And I think that's where we need to kind of draw the line of, you know, it's okay to use manual, but make sure that your narrative isn't pumping them full of like, information that's not true or Mm -hmm. evidence-based so uh that's interesting though that um that kt tape is still helpful for patients with neoa uh definitely not something that i would have guessed because i mean that joint is it's like osteoarthritic you know anyway (laughs) just interesting yeah it it I'll pull up those notes again. We'll we yeah. can come back and review that, and I'll do a much better job of reviewing that. And I apologize; that I think, it's not very good. Of a I review, think that's but. what we we do too, because I think when we get into our discussion with our guest from uh, from CSM who presented this amazing topic, is I would like to unpack some things so clinicians have clinical pearls, and we can unpack some things that we learned as well when we have, meet with our motion science team or or. Um, go into our coming episodes, but I think PTs are just really hungry for knowledge and they're really hungry to keep learning the best tools or the best measures, the best new uh, innovative ways to kind of rejuvenate their practice. And I think we, I think we bring, bring some more gold nuggets. Yeah. And I think we, I'm going to go out on a limb here, and there may be people that really rip me apart for this, but I, I think there there's a place, and it's important for evidence-based uh, interventions and tools. Innovation doesn't happen so much from the evidence all the time, right? Sometimes you got to have some crazy people to go out and try some new shit. Yeah. And and there's an interesting quote from Kierkegaard that I read last night that um, life is only understood in reverse, but we have to live it going forward. Mm-hmm. And That's that cool. stuck with me because you not everything is known. Like you don't know what's going to happen in like, we don't know how things are going to play out. Right. Right. And unless there are some people that are willing to fail and uh, that's the only way new shit gets developed and new things and how our profession right. goes forward. Um, and, and I guess to your point, I, and your excitement of hearing, you know, these students or maybe these, you know, new grads or practice owners that are trying to forge ahead in different specific niche areas. Uh, You know, I'm not really even, I guess, talking about, I mean, I guess I am talking about PT, right? But I I think uh, it's that healthy balance of, of, of evidence, but also sometimes we do have to think outside of the box. We have to push push things a little mm-hmm. bit to, to to get the bar. It's just like training. I mean, everybody understands whether it's aerobic or anaerobic training, like 
if you want to get over a threshold, like you're always teetering on that, that brink of injury, right? And so it's like pushing tissue and your system to this, coming back down so that you get stronger and you get up to here. And then the next time you can go to here and then you get to here, right? And it's this nice, nice path, right? And you don't get, you don't get stale. I, I think our, prof- our, I think our profession as a whole it is, can benefit from 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 pushing some pushing the envelope a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. Like I love that George Fox is 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 so big on getting into primary care, mm-hmm. right? Like other programs are big on emergency room care, right? Getting us into the front lines of care for people is is one example of I guess what I'm talking yeah. about for our profession, um, because we. <laughs> you know, you get to the point about like, why aren't doc, why, why do doctors, how come they don't have to prove anything to themselves, mm-hmm. like to their patients, whatever, right? Right. You know why I think that is truly the case? It's because they have the prescription pad. Right. They can give things out that rectify an issue People without doing People kind of don't give a shit when they go to the doctor or the PA or whatever. Like, why do you think Zoom care is so great? Because people just need antibiotics, right? Or they mm-hmm. just need painkillers or they just want that, right? I Physicians are like the gateway to those things. PAs are the gateway to those things, right? So patients will do whatever they say or they'll listen and they'll give them whatever answer they want, right? Yeah. Uh, PTs are not in that same position. Yeah. We can't prescribe imaging if we think someone needs an MRI because they can't get their shoulder over their head or their arm over their head. Right. Or their knee is swollen after they probably tore their ACL. Right. Probably maybe suspect that, but we... We need the power to really have either great assessment tools or great prescription tools. And you just hit the nail on the head, right? Whereas um, it's not that we need the power. We, we won't have the power until we earn it from the general public, right? And that's what the exceptional PTs do in mm-hmm. our profession is they use the tools that are available to them whether they're evidence-based or not, they, they, I, I guarantee you that most of them all bring the evidence-based treatments to the table, mm-hmm. but they use a lot of non-evidence-based mm-hmm. interaction tools right. to bring those patients along to ultimately get them, right? I think about that in my physical, in my personal training days, right? I trained for 10 years before I went to PT school. Mm-hmm. And I ultimately loved it but also hated it at the same time because you know the rep counting thing and it's like why mm-hmm. the hell like really i'm gonna do this again with the same pa- the same person again and the next person like it was it was not all that fulfilling right but the skills that it taught me about the ability to get people uh, excited and engaged and getting them you know i had to give them stuff that they thought they wanted in order to sneak in the things that they needed. Yeah. Right? And that skill from personal training is why I think I've done well as a, as a PT, right? Because mm-hmm. we, they don't give a shit about how much we know. They just want to get what they want to get out of it. And they don't care if they know that they're getting it or not getting it. Yeah. They just want it to happen. Yeah. Right? And, and it, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a really delicate thing. And, and it, we as PTs... No one has to come to us for anything. 
mm-hmm. if they don't want to, right? They can go go do Dr. Google or, or whatever, right? So I'm, I guess bringing this all back to it is we have to be, we have to earn it and we have to, we have to play at the top of our game, but that requires lots of different tools. And if I look at CSM this year, uh, I look at all the incredible tools that are uh, available for PTs to use technology in the right place, right? To get objective data, the stuff that we can't see with our eyes. Mm-hmm. And also satisfy the need of the patient too, to be sort of engaged with technology. They love seeing their data. They love all that piece. And then having this bridge between time when you're in person and time when you're you're separate doing mm-hmm. your stuff, it's just relevant to our time of, of existence and how we operate daily. Um, there, you know, granted some of this technology is smoke screeny and mm-hmm. a little, like, I don't really care what you're, how far you can reach over your head. What does that tell it? Like, yeah. you can get here like 17 different ways, right? But uh, it's it's there and we got some good, some some less good, but we've got technology that is going to help, I think, bring our prof- help bring our profession up. Um, and that, I think that was the exciting piece of, yeah. of it because now we have more options, right? We're not technologists as a profession, so we need tech to come in and then for us to be discerning, pick mm-hmm. some of the right tools and maybe get them right the first time, maybe not. Yeah and uh, help bring, ha- help help people see us as a profession sort of moving along with the times, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. you're starting to see it, like every PT clinic looks exactly the same for the last 50 years, right? And, but it's starting to change. Mm-hmm. You start to find some ones out there that are pretty sexy and, you know, more movement related. And it's not just, you know, you don't see a, Biodex machine in the corner and a new step and all, you know, just, yeah. it's like, it, it, I was excited that yeah. um, I'll stop there. I'll pause. We're, we're evolving and I'm excited that, you know, regardless of how many PTs we lost in the profession, I think it retained a lot of still really amazing ones. And so, um, I think being able to practice at the top of our license, have a ton of patients that, you know, are needing to be seen and there's a big shortage of PTs. So, you know, we're getting people in, we're, we're, we're treating uh, hopefully more in like an evaluation style where we're not, you know, having to keep people in for 12 visits and three months or, um, you know, we're able to, to assess and reassess and use these amazing tools that we have to combine patient satisfaction, patient needs, what they want, really want to do. And I think PTs are really doing a great job of trying to work them back into whatever gives them life and enjoyment. But I think to do that, we still need really great tools, really great innovation with you know how we're adopting tech, how we're trying to have a more efficient clinic so we're not just burning ourselves out, counting reps every day. Um, but I think, yeah, the profession's hungry and I think people are excited. So I'm pumped to bring some good episodes with some amazing heavy hitters in PT. So stay tuned. Thanks for listening to us ramble. And until then, keep moving. You've been listening to the Force Matters podcast. We appreciate you tuning in and really want to hear from you. 
If you have questions you'd like to hear answered on the podcast, you can find us at motusi.com on our blog page or DM us on Instagram at motusicorp. See you next time. And until then, keep moving. Keep moving.